This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I'm joined by the usual partner, David Hughes. How are you doing, mate? Um, I'm not too bad. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? Are you sure about that? Because I'll let you have an off day this week after, after Evans was up last night. Yeah, no, I'm, uh, I'm okay. Yeah, I'm fine, mate. I'm, uh, I'm glad that we're talking about Liverpool, not the football <laughs> clubs within the Premier League. Yeah, uh, so am I, to be honest. Um, so, Manchester United, and we will look ahead to Wolves, who we're playing tomorrow. This, this is getting recorded on a Wednesday. And then we're going to look ahead as well to West Ham, who were a bit in the distance, but just because of how the time works out, we've got to record them today. Um, but yeah, we'll you know we'll start with Manchester United. We'll get straight to it. Uh, bit of a tighter match than many will have expected. I think. Mm. Um, I think for me, United were possibly a little bit more competitive than than expected. Yeah, especially considering they didn't have Rashford, didn't have Pogba, didn't have McTominay. But I think they competed fairly well between both boxers. Mm. I uh, I expected a bit of a hammer, and I think I predicted it last week. And then when the teams come out, I, th- I thought the same. But in fact, saying that, I recall someone predicting two 0 Oh yeah, fair. Yeah, <laughs> give yourself that one, mate. Pat, pat on the back. Yeah, um, we'll do, yeah. I like that down in the, when, I, when I finish the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I I was I actually said uh, shortly after the game for me that was the one of the best or better performances from the wayside at Anfield in the league this season. Um, which some people, if you don't watch Liverpool every single game, specifically at Anfield, you might be a bit surprised by that. But they've just been that good this year, haven't they? Liverpool at home. Um, yeah. <laughs> that United remain competitive and actually made some half-decent chances. Yeah, well, I think it's weird because um, they were competitive and it was probably one of the best setups that Liverpool have faced this season. But at the same time, I'd still say it was fairly comfortable for Liverpool. I don't I don't think we reached the whole fifth gear thing, with the exception of maybe the first 15 minutes of the second half. Mm. I think in, in, in a 10 minute, in a 10, 15 minute period in the second half, I think we had about seven shots. Yeah. Which is crazy. Yeah. But that's why I say contact. Like contextualised, that's yeah. it's probably worth pointing out that they were one of the better sides to, uh, to come to Anfield this season because Liverpool have just been so good that even again that panned out as you've just said there was still one of the better performers from an away side. But there were certainly occasions, specifically in that period after the second half, where Liverpool could have potentially ran away with it. Yeah, I think also that Mane effort goes in where. Well, that's it. That, that, yeah, it is. Yeah, usually, he saves it with his feet. Yeah, it is usually a case of like when maybe the expected goals is tight or the match feels tight or something like that. You always think that Liverpool always seem to have at least five chances that you know you you would expect to see fine in the net most weeks, especially considering the quality of Liverpool's attackers in comparison to the average player. But I, I don't know. I just. We're always well in it, aren't we? And, and, and that sort of thing. But just a little bit more on the expected goals there. Uh, Liverpool's XG on the day was 2.4 to Manchester United's 1.2. Um, 16 shots to 9. So I think that paints a fairly accurate picture for me. Mm. I think Liverpool was certainly the more dominant team. Liverpool's XG is obviously double Manchester United's. Um, but I think it also suggests that... Man United maybe should have found the net at least once, you know, with next year 1.2, especially I'm, I'm thinking the Martial chance. Yeah, that was the big one. Although the um, the one the first half where Wan Basaka, yeah, that's fair. Puts it across the face of the goal. In fact, that probably won't show up, will it? Because that Wan Basaka was probably hitting across there, across the goal, and the man on the end of it who was Pereira, was it? Pereira. Yeah. He doesn't actually connect with the ball, so that doesn't go well, down as a shot, does it? This is this is the thing I'm having a bit of an issue now. with because um, I think there's been some differences in terms of some people's XG data, and I'm not sure if they've counted that as a as a shot. Just um, I mean, we have to we shouldn't really be doing this while we're uh, <laughs> while we're to be recording. What is interesting? See, no, they've um, certainly on. If we look at Weisskow, for example. They've they've put down as a chance of uh, 0.51. one. 
Yeah, which is a very, very high chance, uh, high XG value for for one sh- one effort, really. Yeah, I'm looking at understat here. Understat have got it down as well, so maybe he did connect with it. I'm, I I don't recall him connecting, but I think his toe. Oh, okay. It, but okay. he's just he's too far behind. Can't get enough of a contact on it. But yeah, understat of value there is 0.79, which is obviously a very high chance. That's that's that goes in most of the time. Put it that way. Mm, I have said before though, haven't I? That I said it in the game to one of um one of the United correspondents who are obviously covering it, um, that Liverpool will always give you, I think, one or two chances, clear-cut chances. Oh, well, no, actually, that's, that's, that, I mean, that's saying all these wrong. They'll give they'll give a, a good one or two chances per game, but it's just all about converting them. But even when you do, Liverpool can still score two or three at the other end. So it's... Yeah, it's, it's, it's like when those chances do come, you're usually... Relatively close to goal, but you're usually being pressed, aren't you? You usually got bodies mm. between you and the goal, and because the the few and so few and far in between, when they do come, I think players are almost inclined to panic a little bit. Always, yeah. Um, so that's the while, because there's I I can't remember what the it was. Remember ages ago we were on the show and uh, Dan Kennett just put a tweet out about um, big chances missed against Liverpool. Yeah, yeah. It, it was this season, though, so it wasn't that long ago. And it was something ludicrous, wasn't it? Like, say, I don't know, say 17 in the last 21 or something along those lines. Mm. Which seems crazy, but, you know, with context, when you watch the chances, these players are always under immense pressure, aren't they? And um, there should be some It is weird to the extent that they don't... They don't even have to target a lot of the time. Like, Martial blazes over the bar. Pereira, obviously, a little bit different, but Pereira misses. I think Pereira can get away with his a little bit because... uh, but a week earlier though, Lacelso misses from two yards out. Yeah, no. I- Son blazes over the bar. Mm. It is weird how I don't know. Maybe it gets in the red. I don't know what it is. I think it is a mixture of the. Um, this is what I was about to say. There should be some credit for Liverpool's defence, in my opinion, because they are pressured. You know, he looks. He, he looks at Allison. Say we're talking about the Martial chance. He looks at Allison, big in the goal. You know, intimidating. One of the best goalkeepers in the world, if not the best. The, the, all these things in just that split second and he chooses to go with what I thought was a bizarre technique on the finish. Martial. Yeah. Yeah, laces. Yeah. So it's um, it's all these little things, these I was gonna ask in you the microseconds that kind of impact it that don't necessarily get picked up in the data. Yeah, I was gonna, I was going to ask you then, to be honest, do you think Alisson, the presence of Alisson plays a part in, in a player's finishing? Yeah, I do now, definitely, yeah. If, yeah. You're, if you're facing the keeper that you you are well aware is the best in the league, are you more inclined then to think, I'll hit it as hard as I can, as yeah. opposed to I'll find a corner? Yeah, because, you know, potentially would Martial just try to, I don't know, a usual finish, maybe try to let it drop down a little bit more and curl it round if he was facing anybody else really, but has he thought this needs to be something fantastic, need to put power behind it, needs to put it in the top corner? As I said, it's all, it's all microseconds, isn't it? But, um, I think definitely facing Allison, it does it. It does impact impact um, thought processes. Yeah, can't rely on instinct as much. Yeah, Liverpool now over eleven hours without conceding mm. a single goal, which is you know some record. And we we did mention every week for the first half of the season the clean sheets will come. The clean mm. sheets. Will, I didn't think it would come to this extent. Mm. Must be honest, but you know, fair play. Um, United changed on the day to the same formation I think that they used at Old Trafford. Back three. Uh, three, four, one, two formation was. Um which I thought I thought it was interesting how he clearly instructed Wambasaka and Williams to to both close down Trent and Robertson. Mm. I thought that was an interesting little ploy. Mm. Sometimes it worked against them. But it's it seemed to be a real plan to where the opposing team appreciates the threat of Liverpool's fullbacks, mm. and as I said, whenever they got the ball, wherever Williams was or Wan-Bissaka was, they would just literally dart thirty yards out mm. to close them down to refuse allowing time on the ball, things yeah. like that. One of the first plays I've actually seen where you know we're going to cater for Liverpool's fullbacks. I thought you, you know what certainly on Liverpool's right, their left. I thought it worked quite well because you know how dangerous Trent can be. I had a quick gander and. He, average, he averages around 52 passes received per 90 in the Premier League. And it was only 37 in that game. So I think he um, 
there was certainly a case of them limiting the threat down there and the bulk of the attacks were going down, Liverpool's left. But I actually thought Wan-Bissaka had a really bad game, which contributed to it. Yeah, he, he, he was a... I don't know, dude. Gary Neville was saying in, in commentary that like he was he was tired by a certain point and we seemed to attack United's... United's right at Liverpool's left. We seemed to attack down that flank a weird amount, considering it was a high amount. was defensively decent. So I um, and on the on the other side, you've got a kid. You know what I mean, Brandon Williams. Yeah, but as I said, I think he's he's going to go on to be a really good player, Williams. But I I did write a piece early in the week, um, and it it flagged how many attacks went down the. I'll bring it up now. Why would, you, would you say the um, the ploy of close, closing down Liverpool's fullbacks the way they did? Worked. I'm just showing you now there. Obviously, for the listeners can't see, but there's Trent's passing network for the day. Mm. It's still quite adventurous, isn't it? But at the same time, it's maybe not to the level he usually... Do you see what I mean? So he's. it looks like he's basically still being, I don't know, like a playmaker from, from that wide area. But if you have a look, there seems to be less in terms of final third balls, doesn't it? Passes to, into the final third. Just, mean? just even in the, in and around the final third, the passes seem to just be a little bit reduced. There's less in there. Yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. From him actually being in that area. Um, yeah, he was. You mean he was? He was more withdrawn. Yeah, it bit, felt bit like deeper. he was. Yeah, he was forced to stay a little bit deeper. Yeah, no, I agree with you there. Um, yeah, there is. So yeah, just. I think it was just seven of Liverpool's 39 positional attacks, as they're called, um, according to White Scouts anyway, come down the right uh, with the bulk coming down the left. So, yeah, as you said, there was, a, there was a high amount going on that side, but I thought they had loads of success there. Yeah. With just Mane on what, as well. Just on what you've said there regarding Trent, he usually is, is average for the season in the Premier League, let's do, for passes into the box is 6.2. Against United, he attempted two. Mm. So obviously below average there. But did you notice Liverpool would? Uh, this is not new, but did you notice Liverpool were doing a lot of the uh, one up, one down thing with the fullbacks, weren't they? So yeah, yeah, yeah. If yeah. Uh, if if they're going to be focusing their attacks a lot down their left, that's going to see Robertson being advanced, and maybe to kind of balance it, you've got to bring Trent a little bit deeper. Um, so that's probably the explanation behind it. But interesting nonetheless. Yeah, I mean the opening goal. Obviously, the perks of having a player in the mould of Virgil van Dijk. Mm. I thought van Dijk was flawless oh, on the day. Okay. Some player, honestly, nothing gets through him. Everything seems to be intercepted by him. Mm. His reading of the game is ridiculous. Um, and obviously, as you know, he scores the opening goal of the game just in, in addition to his, his ridiculous um, defensive performance. No, what it is for me, it's just the, like the ice that runs through his veins. You know, I know that's a cliche line, but he just never looks flustered, does he? No, he's never honestly. Looks I said weeks and weeks ago that he was the best central defender I've ever seen, and that he is the type of player that you make in a lab. Mm. And I firmly stand by that. He's no room for nostalgia at all. People look at the likes of Maldini and Nesta and all this stuff. Great defenders, don't get me wrong, but these players had weaknesses. Van Dijk does not have a single weakness as far as I'm concerned not one you can't play on any aspect of his game and hope to get gains out of it well I did notice that United was trying to counter by playing balls in behind the fullbacks for the likes of James to chase on to but bear in mind how fast James is because you see it don't you um, when he tries to track back for Salah's goal yeah he's lightning quick like yeah he, he couldn't get away from Van Dijk at all like he just couldn't and no, I think James would beat Van Dyke in a leg race, but because of Van Dyke's powers of in, like anticipation, <laughs> yeah. he's already like two or three yards ahead of him. Yeah. No, you say you say that, but I'm not even sure. You know, especially depending on the distance, the the, the distance of the of the race. Mm. Van Dyke is, I, I think I'm sure Van Dyke's something like the second quickest in the squad. Over in Liverpool squad, that's up against Salah and Mane and players like that. Look, if he, over if a he, certain distance, if he's quicker than James, then fair play. I'm not there. I'm not there to take that away from him. But the point I'm trying to make is, I think he just anticipates moves so well that he's always got a yard or two yeah. to to make it comfortable. Yeah, just a little bit more on the fullback there. There's Robertson's passing network. Yes, obviously a lot more advanced. Yeah, look how many balls from inside the attacking third he's made. Yeah, uh, Trent. I think 
attempted a 51 passes in the match. Mm. Robertson attempted 71. Um, passes into the box for Robertson, if it ever loads, was eight. So obviously a lot more than 10. Yeah. So as, I just found it a bit, a bit strange considering we attacked down the, the, the side of the defence that wan situated, who many would label as defensively sound. Mm. And the side of Luke Shaw and Brandon Williams, we maybe left the, let off the hook, as I've to say. So yeah, I just found it a little bit no, I agree. strange. But then do you wonder if um, maybe there wasn't necessarily a plan to attack down a specific and instead it was kind of, No, because you, you spoke about it before, um, how Klopp can be kind of of the mindset of letting the players kind of problem solve on their own. And maybe, because they could attack down both quite easily, couldn't they? And maybe they realised they were just enjoying much more success going on that side, so continue to try and exploit it. Yeah, maybe it could be a case as well of us being a bit more concerned about Martial. Mm. Being, you know, I mean, Daniel James, decent player, but is he going to score? He's not going to score really, is he? Mm. So maybe we're a bit more adventurous down that flank with Future keeping a bit deeper to, to case of Martial because yeah. he's the only player in the squad where that's going to get a goal. Mm. No, that's um, fair, yeah. He's, he's the best finisher in, in the side without Rashford, isn't he? Yeah. But I think United played, as I said, fairly well between both boxes. Um, but, you know, the covered on match of the day, an, an aspect that I picked up on where as they entered, as they entered vaguely the final third or just before the final third, just that final pass, they seemed to like either not take or be restricted to take and I think that was a difference on the day, the fact that Liverpool could play through United a lot easier than United could play through Liverpool. Mm. And I think, you know, progressive passes, that's a pass that's um, forward, basically. Um, <coughs> considerably forward. It's labelled as Liverpool completed 80% of their progressive passes, United completed 50%. And I think, you know, Liverpool just controlling the pitch, really. Liverpool mm. being a compact block, United being a bit more open. Yeah. Um, and I think we saw that on the pitch I think it, you know that's how it played out really yeah it, I've always said that Liverpool could be a fantastic side sitting in a low block they could be the best there yeah definitely they, they really could but obviously they've got so much more to give that they don't need to but when those moments do appear where they need to be organised defensively they do it brilliantly um, and just yeah restrict the space and it's very difficult plus I think there's that element of we're just talking about it in terms of finishing again you're overthinking your passes or you're not you're overhitting them, you're just not doing them right because you're struggling so much knowing that you need to get this final ball to create a chance against Liverpool. Yeah. Um, I think that's what United have struggled with. Yeah. Just one one more little thing to touch on before we move on to look ahead to Wolves. Only going to Solskjaer made a cheeky little um, comment after mm. the match. I'm not entirely sure it was a dig because I've watched them say... I, I'm also with you on this, but go on. Yeah, I've watched him say, and I'm not sure he means it as a dig. I think mm. he means it as like, you know, Liverpool being a bit of a Swiss Army knife in terms of the, the things that they throw at you. But he mentioned Liverpool and long balls, um, and I think he's right. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> and yeah. I've, I've got no bones with what he said at all. I think the only thing it missed was context. I think if he would have mm. said, you know, they can carve you open through skill, but also, and then talked about the long balls, no one would have said anything. Yeah, um, I think that was what it was. I think he he denied the fact that Liverpool can carve you open. Mm. I think he said the opposite to that, didn't he? I can't remember. He said, I, think, I think he said they don't, they don't really carve you open or something like that, which is wrong. Or they didn't carve us open or something. Yeah, yeah. They, yeah something like that. But, the, um, but on, on the day, Liverpool completed 35 long passes. United completed 14. Hmm. Um, and I wrote a piece earlier in the week, shared it on my Twitter, at distance cover, do you want to check it out? But Liverpool are currently top in Europe's top five leagues for long passes per 90. Um, obviously, Liverpool do it a lot, but we do it crucially to our benefit. And mm-hmm. I think it's calculated. It's not aimless. It's not, you know, in the mould of... I think some, some managers are inclined to do it because they haven't really got a clue of how else to get up the field. Yeah, I think Liverpool do it just as a means of mixing up the build-up, being more unpredictable. And one of the closing lines in the piece that I wrote was that, you know, in an age of analysis where you're, you know, you're analysing every opponent, trying to work out what their patterns of play are and mm. things like that, how do you 
analyse the patterns of play of a team that appears chaotic and appears random and appears, you know, basically unpredictable, really. There's no yeah. real pattern there, is there? If the, it's percentage football almost, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, I agree. It's uh, the long ball as well. It's, it's, it's like a multi-phased attack, isn't it? So, because we talked about this recently, didn't we? And I, I said, it's not always about winning the first ball, is it? It's just all about attempting to win the first ball, but if not, picking up the second. And then you'd suddenly got X amount of players in the attacking third, the defence is unorganised and as you said, it creates a chaotic environment which um, supports the attacking side. Um, just just touching on your thing you were saying about it's the difficult to predict and the chaos and things. I just want to mention about the, the corner thing. Yeah, I saw that. I was gonna I was gonna retweet that actually, yeah. Yeah, it's um I was just I did a piece earlier this weekend. It's something I've spoke about with Josh before. Have you mentioned this on the pod before? S- stuff about it. I think you'll have. I think you? when the, yeah after the Salzburg game, but I just mentioned how Liverpool tend to have very little in the way of consistency from corners, which is a positive. Point. Yeah, I was just about to say, which initially may sound like I'm being negative, but it's anything but because um, basically they'll have different set-piece takers from different sides of the pitch and then there'll be out-swingers, in-swingers, short. And if you go on to, if you go on to my Twitter, uh, at DAHughes underscore, there's just a small chart of the 11 corners that um, Liverpool had against United and where, what side of the pitch they're from, who took them and the delivery type. And you'll just see that the kind of is the term mayhem maybe that they are it's just so difficult I'd say va- variation is the way variation. that and I think that's a massive thing mm. I think it's so important because it's difficult for the opponents to anticipate what they're about to face which is why I think Liverpool are so successful from, from corners and set pieces because how do you prepare in the week how do you prepare in game you know analysis is going on in the game isn't it it's yeah. on the pit got, got like have iPads you, and stuff there have you got it there yeah just read out the deliveries. The, okay, are you ready? Don't don't read out the player takers, even though they varied as well. Yeah, but the actual deliveries, I think, is offers an insight into. Th- so we got delivery type. We've got short outswinger, 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 inswinger, short, short, inswinger, outswinger, short, low cross. <laughs> and what I will add as well, not only does that give it a good idea of what what it can be like to face Liverpool set pieces, but they're from different sides of the uh, of the pitch as yeah, well, don't yeah, forget. Yeah. So you might have two outswingers on on the run, but they'll be from different areas of the different corner flags, sorry. So it's uh, it really is mad and it's 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 just another little thing that Liverpool do and that's given them a edge over Yeah, be unpredictable be unpredictable, I think is the lesson there, isn't it? Yeah, definitely mate. Um we'll move on anyway. Uh, to Wolves. So this is a team that, I mean, we analysed them like a week ago. Yeah, <laughs> it's been a strange set of fixes, this hasn't it? Because we placed the, I think it's three and a half weeks since these these fixtures were played. I think roughly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll try we'll try to go a little bit different, and we'll maybe touch upon some of the key points that we made last time or so. But we're not going to stay on Wolves for too long, simply because, as I said, we've already really done an episode on them. Um. But they're still they're still very much the same team as a few weeks ago in terms of what the threats that they pose and things like that. Mm. I think they've still only lost. I think they've only lost five times, which again is still the same as a couple of weeks ago. The second best alongside Manchester City, I think, um, better only by obviously Liverpool. Um, since they faced Liverpool, they yet to lose any of the XG battles. Um, I think the they just cleanly won two of them. I think double check that in a sec and they have drew one I think according to the expected goals um, but th- the, the actual results that they've, that they've gathered uh, a loss a draw and a win so a b- bit of randomness there but yeah I mean what more is this to say about them really yeah, I think they're a side family that show the benefits of of, of fostering a culture, mm. I'd say. Mm. I think you can tell that they've been together for a long time. You can yeah. s- tell that they're a solid group. And one of the reasons that I say that is because they've collected the most points in the division by some distance, I think, as well, from losing positions. Yeah. Uh, and that obviously links with their most recent result, which was a 3-2 win over Southampton. But they were 2-0 they were down 
in that match. So I think this is one of the this is one of the remaining few, I'd say, in the in the season that Liverpool's unbeaten threat is maybe well, it's under threat, that's what I meant. <laughs> um see what I mean by that? Yeah, I mean, no, yeah. I think the Wolves are just the way they've adapted to the Premier League is phenomenal. They've gone from being a promoted side last season to easily a top eight side, in my opinion. Yeah, comfortably, yeah. Um, and not just that, I think in terms of going to the model new, like Liverpool will be, it's one of, I don't know, I've got no statistical data to back it up in, on this point, but it, it definitely seems one of the toughest places to go in the Premier League. Um, it just, it's one of the grounds that the, there always seems to be an atmosphere there, especially when big teams come there. Um, and they have a great record against top six sides as well. In fact, I saw this on Twitter yesterday. I apologise, I can't remember who, who tweeted it, but the, if you look at a top six mini league added with Wolves in it, Liverpool would, and Wolves would actually finish third. So it would be Liverpool, Man City, then Wolves, then Chelsea, Man United, Arsenal, Spurs. So I was there 19 games against top six sides. They've won six, drew six, lost seven. So it, it really is difficult to call. You know, they, they make these games competitive. Yeah, I think they're one of the best in the league on, in transition on a counter-attack. Yeah. Um, and I think Raul Jimenez will start this match. Traore will start this match, mm. unlike the Anfield fixture. So they, I, I think they're, they're a team that obviously we know we know they don't press. They don't press very much. They, they sit tight block off passing lanes and things like that. And then when you try and force it, basically, they will make an interception and quickly spring on you. Mm. Obviously, in Traore, Jimenez, Jota usually plays. I think Neto's played a few lately. They've got the players that just a few knee passes between them, link-up plays, one-twos and things like that. They get up the field quickly and and they score. Uh, do, they do a few little neat things from set-pieces too. Obviously, it's away from home. And it's gonna be it's gonna be a tricky game. It's gonna be a tricky game. I'm not exactly sure how this one will play out, but I think Liverpool are the best in the league in terms of coping with that transition threat. Just the, the one-on-one capability of Van Dijk and Gomez, mm. the speed of them, the the discipline of the midfield and things like that. So I have no I have no worries about Van Dijk and Gomez dealing with threats, but. As you said, obviously we know that they tend to sit in that defensive like five three two shape. Um but the way they spring out, I think they seem to do it in numbers, which is important. And I just wonder whether they're gonna be able to create any overloads if the wing backs Trent and Robertson do push on a little bit too much. It won't happen a lot. And I said they are more than likely to do the one up one down where they'll try and keep at least three defenders in in defence. But I, I mean, I can only agree with you. I think it is going to be... This is a tricky one. Especially coming off the... I'm right in saying Wolves is the next game, isn't it? Is it? Yeah. Yeah, it's we'll, tomorrow, we'll, we'll, isn't Wolves it? next, yeah. Yeah, so this to me, especially with the high of United, like that was probably... Would you say that's the the highest Liverpool felt this season in the league? Yeah, I... With with, with the gap that we've got... Um, I'm going to say it now. I'm going to say it. But yeah, Liverpool are going to win the league. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're going to win the league. It's, it's, it's fame. I, I I said it a couple of months ago, but I didn't have no way. I've wanted, I to, say, worry, I've wanted yeah. to say it since since about December 10th, I think, but I've refrained from doing it because I can't be bothered with you the You know grief. what my one was? <laughs> Mine was um, when they come back from the Club World Cup, should be fatigued, and went and destroyed Leicester and then beat Wolves, ironically. And after that, I thought, no, that's that for me is... That's it. That should have been any... If you're going to have a, a slip-up, that should have been it. Um, yeah. So it's, it's done now. But... Um, if you disagree, please don't tell us. I'm not really fussed. Yeah. Because <laughs> people seem to take issue when it's not over until it's over, which is obviously true, but, you know, we're realistic here. And As we said, though, didn't we, previously, if you were looking at the Bundesliga now, La Liga, and it was the, this was the gap, you'd say that team's won the league, so that's all we're doing. We're not trying to, you know, taint think, it or yeah, jinx it. I think for me, a couple of weeks after Liverpool beat Manchester City, um, in fact, two weeks later, City drew with Newcastle. And then two weeks after that, got beat by Manchester United. Then was when I was like, Liverpool have got this. This is Liverpool's 100%. Mm. And it wasn't overly... Well, it is obviously because Liverpool are ridiculous. Mm. But it was also because Manchester City just seemed so vulnerable this season, yeah. so fragile. 
they, they haven't got that 14 game winning streak in them like they had last year have they no I mean having said that Aguero is back looks in form Laporte is now back so I'd expect if they're going to have any kind of run I'd expect this to happen now but I thought that you know a week or two ago and then they drew with Palace yeah, and all. Yeah. which I know Palace for them seems to be a bizarre fixture but you still think pressure on but yeah but what you said there though on the whole moment thing I think with Liverpool having the league pretty much done that last minute winner against United I think it's the closest we're going to get to a moment where we're like we've done it mm. do you know what I mean I think when we do do it it'll be a bit of a well we already know it was coming anyway yeah. um, but I'm just wondering basically I'm trying to gauge whether I don't doubt the um, mentality of, of this side but I wonder whether there's going to be an, an, a, a potential for vulnerability going into this game you know being on such a high oh, going yeah. to a really difficult place you have to really try and replicate that sort of performance again. Yeah, I don't know. Klopp's been, Klopp's been relentless since. Yeah, I know, yeah. Relentless at the whole, you know, avoiding complacency. You can tell he's absolutely zero interest in mm. any complacency coming in. And you can tell at the moment it does. He's, it's getting stamped out by him immediately. He's been quick. Oh, you know, even when we beat Leicester 4 0, and that was literally a perfect performance mm. away from home, against like second in the league. You could tell he didn't want to dive on the whole, we are amazing. And you could tell he, he was a bit concerned in the, in the interviews that, like, you know, it was great. And he was trying to pick, desperately trying to pick out areas when he needed to improve. He was struggling. Yeah. But it was one of them. So you can tell he's not one of them. So I think we're, we're safe in that regard. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. One more little point on Wolves. I think the whole ball over the top thing comes into it. Mm. Obviously, we pointed out last time that they conceded from a ball over the top against Brighton. Neil Mopay scored. And then when Liverpool faced them, mm. a ball over the top, Liverpool scored. We won 1-0 and it came from a ball over the top. So, I think, I like, I, don't get me wrong, I like Conor Cody. Yeah. And I like Wolves' defence. You know, mm. they've got Den Duncan at the minute, I think. And Romain Sice. Decent players, but they're not quick. No, and he decided to keep a compact line fairly high up the field without pressing and it just affords Van Dijk time on the ball Mane can get in behind ahead of the likes of Conor Cody and players like that so what I uh, what I found when I was doing a bit of analysis on them um, earlier in the month was I looked at that Liverpool game the um, sometimes the defence might be in a good position Um but the midfielders will sometimes try and press um, when the opposition come into their half. And what that seems to be doing is creating a, a gap between the defence and the midfield. So when a long ball does come over, even if Wolves win the initial header, the opposition, a.k.a. Liverpool, tend to sweep up the, yeah. the second ball because um, they're faster to it and kind of hover in that area of the gap between the defence and midfield. And then that creates these difficult attacker moments so I think that's where they'll enjoy, get some success against Wolves uh, when they play yeah one thing I will say as well is that Liverpool seem to very sporadically mix it up against these these three at the back teams when we know a team is definitely playing three at the back against us we sometimes come with a 4-2-3-1 mm. um, and I think we did against Wolves a couple of weeks ago Lallana played in a 4-2-3-1 mm. I think I think that was when he was off, actually, wasn't he? I think yeah. I did that one with Christian. Um, the OG, Mr. Walsh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, you know, just thought it was worth, worth noting because yeah. it, it may be something we see again, considering we do tend to mix it up a little bit against Wolves in terms of formations. Mm. But we we will move on, yeah. In fact, no, we'll get a verdict on that one first. What do you think? 1-0 um, Liverpool. I'm going to go... 2-0 Liverpool I think but horrible match I think it's a tough match Yeah, I will say that I don't think it's going yeah, to be you can tell by our predictions there they were uh, <laughs> very serious weren't they <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll move on anyway to West Ham and the return of the sweet prince <laughs> I think I called him ginger prince I'm sure <laughs> but that was definitely not to cause any offence well because it's, because of his return it, they're a difficult team to preview because it's a new regime isn't it but mm. You know, what are your general thoughts on, on David Moyes being appointed and what his approach may be going into Liverpool? Obviously, he used to be in charge of Everton, so you've got a bit of a gauge on how he thinks and things mm -hmm. like that. So, I think he, um, 
I wouldn't have been very happy with the appointments as a West Ham fan. Um, I think both parties would have avoided that move under di- different circumstances. I think West Ham wouldn't have went back in for Moyes after him only being there two years ago. I think Moyes, the way he was basically well, sacked, let go, I think he wouldn't have re- returned either. But both were desperate. Moyes was desperate for a manager's job. He wanted the Everton one, clearly didn't get it. Um, and West Ham needed someone come, to come in and hopefully bring some stability. And for all Moyes' flaws, I think he does bring an element of stability. Um, in terms of facing Liverpool, I think it would be exactly as you'd expect. I think he's just going to try and nullify the threat and create one or two chances and hopefully convert them. Would you label him as a defensive coach? Or... Um, is that unfair? Pragmatic was the way that you Pragmatic, definitely, I think, is a much better term. I think he, he, he harshly got labelled negative from his time in Everton, but certainly his last season, I thought Everton played some of the best football they've, they've played in a long time. Yeah. Um, Quite direct, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, but not necessarily that kind of stuff we were talking about earlier. Negative, direct. It was, you know, something. It, it more calculated. Yeah. Lots of vertical passes, getting the ball forward, not trying to overplay. Um, the problem is, though, it's get difficult to gauge what what level manager he is now because he's been out the game for so long and his jobs when he was in the game were short and sweet, really. Yeah. Um, obviously, West Ham played Everton on the weekend. Uh, yeah. Did you catch the game? Yeah. How did he perform, West Ham? Um, an OK first half. Seemed to be happy to relinquish possession. Um were they quite safe? Yeah, they were. So, bearing in mind they were the home time, they, they gave Everton a lot of the ball in their own half, but they sent, tended to be fairly compact um, within their own half. But I think, if I remember correctly, Everton won the XG on the day. Um, Everton, for me, were below par and still were just about the better side. So, I don't think this is going to be a, a tough game for Liverpool, if I'm being brutally honest. No, neither do I. I think um, I do. I do think he'll have them more drilled than they were under Pellegrini. I think if if this was Pellegrini still in charge, it could have been cricket score. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> um, but it'll be a bit tighter because of that. And I think he'll generally play to his strengths, avoid risks. I think they'll hit long plenty of times. But I think they've got. I think they've got a bit of a problem in central midfield now. In terms of formations, he's used four one four four one one twice, and he's used three four three against Sheffield United. Both of those formations include a midfield two midfield pair, and it's always Rice and Noble. Mm. But I'm not sure they complement each other that well in terms of tendencies on the pitch. Noble likes to be a bit of a maverick mm-hmm. and press on his own. And it leaves Rice covering a lot of space. And there's usually space in behind Noble yeah. that I'm pitching Everberto for Firmino to drop into, yeah, receive the ball with Salah and Mane both starting into the channels ahead of them. Mm. That's exactly what I'm pitching. Yeah. Can you see that happen? Yeah, I can, yeah. No, sorry, I'm just laughing because I've been boosted out of my, uh, my laptop. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I can. Um, I also think Rice can sometimes be stuck with some of the le- legwork. Nobles, how old is Noble now? Um, no. he's only the 30s, I'm assuming, surely. Yeah, so he's 32 now. You know, he, I think there is a, an element of Rice expected to do as the younger player, expected to do more legwork. And I agree, I don't think they do necessarily complement each other at all. Um, but you say Rice doing the legwork, I think he's capable of doing it, but I don't think he's uh, an indeedy level. Ball yeah. winner. I don't think he can cover that amount of ground like a Kante or an Ndidi can. I think doing it, it's. I don't think he's the quickest over the short spaces, so he can't close the ga- gaps down quick enough. And I think he can just tire a player out over the course of 90 minutes. I think that's the issue with it. Yeah. Um, I mean, looking at their results since Moises came in, bit all over the place. Uh, they won four against Bournemouth in his debut, which I think... Highlights Bournemouth, I think, mm. more, than, more than West Ham. Yeah. Uh, then they lost 1-0 to Sheffield United. I caught that game. They didn't deserve it, even though that there was controversy at the end. And obviously they drew 1-0 against Everton. Uh, they certainly won the XG against Bournemouth. That was fairly deserved. 
against a really poor side at the time. Bournemouth, I know they won last night, but they were free for all, weren't they? Yeah, but both matches since. Um, well, they, they they were firmly beaten against Sheffield United, as I said, and against West Ham, against Everton. Sorry, that looks as though that was a deserved draw. Um, but yeah, I just I, I can't see them causing us that many problems. Um, one player that I picked up before the start of the season was Sebastian Alla. I predicted him to have a good season, but I think he suffered at the hands of West Ham. Basically, mm. I, I don't think you can you can blame him that much. No, there's not uh, there's not a ton of creativity in the side to be honest with West Ham. So that is naturally going to have an impact because he's 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 the type of player really to um, finish attacking sequences, isn't he? So he relies on on creative players around him to give him goals. Yeah, he thrived last season at Frankfurt, obviously with Luka Jovic next to him and with Antti Rebic in the mm. side as well. So it was a you know fluid system, but yeah. front three and things like that. And his, his numbers have just massively taken a hit, really. His XG per 90 last season was 0.54. This season, it's 0.31. Mm. His expected assists last season per 90 was 0.25. Now it's 0.05. So we've that that's a that's a big drop off that one. He's mm. he's creating nothing for others. Mm. Now would you determine that to be he's got no one to create for? Or has he just he kind of just stopped stopped being Sebastian Alec and he, he I mean It'd be I, interesting I, to see how much of the ball he's getting and knowing stuff and what in what areas and Yeah. Uh, I'm just thinking the way at Frank Faith, you've got Rebic looking to get in on the goals, you've mm. got Jovis looking to get in on the goals. At West Ham. Philippe Anderson, good player. Yamalenko, good player. You know, Fornals, good player. But they're not scorers, are they? They're going to be creating for him. Mm. But he's not... I just think the, the perks of Sebastian Allen was that he was quite a complete forward, mm. able to provide for others while scoring himself. And I think he's been putting the team that he's got to do all the scoring and there's no one else he's going to be able to provide for. That's my take on it, really. Yeah, no, I agree, yeah. He's... Um I think, you know, I actually think he could come good, but he just needs to be in a more settled side. I think it's really hard to perform in a new league in a in a difficult club who's experienced difficult times. You know, that happened a lot with um, Everton, who I think have a lot of parallels with West Ham. You know, when they spent a lot of money in 2017, a lot of players underperformed in that side because the team weren't doing well. You know, it was that the environment wasn't good and... There was managerial changes, and I just think stuff like that can impact it. Um, you know, the kind of stuff that we can't measure in numbers and we talk about, you know, things off the pitch or just psychological aspects of the game, I think might be having a part on them. Yeah. I mean, as I said, they're a diff- difficult team to analyse fully in terms of picking out their weaknesses and where we may be able to score and things mm-hmm. like that, simply because Moise has been in charge of three games. But I do think that Rice Noble thing is is important. I think if, if Firmino can drift into the space behind Mark Noble mm. and maybe Van Dijk can take a bit too much time on the ball and almost lure Noble out or mm. something like that then I think it can create gains I think we, it, it's an easy way of entering the final third and I can see us getting getting benefits from that but other than that they're a difficult team to actually assess in terms of where we're going to get gains from it but uh, what, what, would, what would your verdict be on that one? I th- I think that'd be an easy win to be honest. And you know what? I'm gonna I think the, I'm gonna go three one just because law of averages. I think Liverpool may finally can can see the goal, but it'll be an absolute fluke of a goal and it'll be a comfortable win. Yeah, I think I was thinking three one. Mm. Uh, along the same lines, really. I think mm. I think I mean eleven hours without conceding yeah. at the minute. We've just given them a clean sheet against Wolves. They've got us. <laughs> it's just it's just the tangibles isn't it like there's just there's so many things that can impact it something may go against them eventually and they'll concede but yeah, it, won't, it West won't be Ham, through a lack of talent no West Ham do tend to score the odd fluke goal as well mm. uh, what was the goal that he scored against Devon? Uh, set piece goal yeah uh, well that won't happen against Liverpool without yeah. a doubt but it was a it was a free kick um wasn't nothing special to be honest should have been defended so yeah I can't see them having the same joy against Liverpool yeah I think I'm going to go 3-1 with that one but if Liverpool get a clean sheet I won't be surprised mm. no <laughs> uh, but before we round off we obviously mentioned last week about questions we didn't really get round to it so for the end of this podcast I'm going to answer two Dave's going to answer two 
Uh, do you want to go first? Yeah, I don't suppose you have mine to hand, do you? Uh, yeah, I think oh, I do, yeah. Only because I... Uh, I think so. I've been boosting up my laptop, so I'm just going on memory here. <laughs> so, I'm going to say... I think your, I remember the your question, first question. I just want to give the credit to the person who's asked it. Yeah, we've got, we've got the people's names for the first time yeah, ever was, on the show. Yeah, so we, uh, finally got around to doing that. Your first question is by Robin Nicholson. I hope I've said that right. Yeah, you're The question is... Have there been any tactical changes since Hendo took over Fabinho's position? Um spoke about this briefly before, but in short, no. Um, I think, except for maybe minor playing differences, because obviously you can't replicate the exact playing style of a player. I think one of the impressive things Liverpool have is this, that we've talked about a few times now, the alignment from top to bottom. And I think what that means is when when they play the same, you know, 4-3-3 formation, same tactics, they have, they have players who are so well drilled in it that they can go into a specific role on the pitch and perform it to what's, what's required or what's expected of them. I think Henderson is a very versatile midfielder and that's why he's got the ability to drop into that six and replicate <coughs> Fabinho. Uh, as I said, there may, there may be some minor differences in terms of the player um, playing style, but no, I think there's no major changes to all the pool played. And you know what? This is not on Fabinho because he's, he's fantastic, but Liverpool have coped really well without him. Actually, I expect it to be, be a lot more difficult for them. And uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say he hasn't been missed, but in terms of results, he hasn't been missed. No, I, I think I, I maybe would go as far as saying he hasn't been missed. To be honest, yeah. I'd, you just I, don't want I, to take I, nothing I, away from him, no, do you? That's no, that's n- that's no slant on mm. on his contributions because he's a top player and he's one of Liverpool's main players, he's mm. midfield general in there. But I haven't really thought about his, his presence once. There's not, there's not really been a time where I've thought, see Fabinho gets to that, or if we have Fabinho yeah. there. But at the same time, he's a, he's a top player, so you know, difficult one to to explain that one really, I suppose. Mm. But been short now. Yeah. Uh, so my first question, Richard Peel. Um, do you think Minamino could be a long-term replacement for Firmino? Um, I think probably, yeah. Um, I think that's that's why he's been signed. He's been signed as a rotation option for the front three, I think. But the player he's most similar to, undoubtedly for me, is Firmino. When you say long-term replacement, Minamino's 24, so he's not that young. Mm. You'd like to think Firmino can keep going for at this level for at least another two years. How old is he now? I think he's 28. But Firmino's Firmino's game isn't that focused on speed. So maybe he can keep going to like 32 or so. So I'm not sure if he's a long, long long-term replacement for Firmino. Um, I think he's more of a rotation option for right now. But he's the most similar in terms of he's inclined to drift between the lines, offering offer a um, almost a vehicle into the final third by offering that link mm. between the opposition's midfield and defence while Salah and Mane running behind basically um, obviously you got that work rate about him um, very honest type of player I thought he was a bit quicker than he actually is he's, he's not lightning quick off mm. the mark I don't, so I don't think he's as much of a threat in behind although I do think he could play as Mane or Salah if he had to but, you know, as I said, I think he's most like Firmino and I think he's he's probably been bought to be a rotation option. And but I'm I'm not overly sold on the the long term air to Firmino's current role. I'm not I'm not saying on that one. Mm. Yeah. Do, you, do you want me to read out your next question? Have you got yeah, that if you don't mind me, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Joshua Worthington. Uh can Liverpool reach into an invincible season? So we we talked about it recently, didn't he? I um, did I tip them to? I can't remember. I think I, I think you said if we if we win a specific game, then yeah. But I can't remember. What, can't oh no, you know what it was? It was prior to Spurs and United. Yeah, and I might said have if been, they win yeah. them too, which they did. Um, I think they have a really good chance now, and I think that could prove to be the motivation once the title's been sewn up because the title's going to be won, I imagine, around mid March you know, going towards April. There's still plenty of fixtures to play then. So similar to, do you remember when Pep's side were after the 100-point haul? Mm. 
and they just kept going, didn't they? Relentless. And when they scored that goal away at Southampton, there was like pandemonium. You know, the whole bench was going crazy, and it was. I I I, can, I could see something similar with Liverpool if they have an invincible season. The only thing is, I think they've got maybe three tough games, um, not including Wolves away from home. That is going to really test them. I think, ironically, Everton. At Goodison Park, we know the Merseyside derby has become a little bit of a farce over the last few years, but at Goodison, it always seems to be a difficult place for Liverpool to go. Uh, Ancelotti too. Yeah, Ancelotti as well. I think they will be embarrassed about that result a few weeks ago and that they'll be trying to get something out of the game. Um, but then there's Arsenal away under Arteta, which, you know, we're, we're on the pod today on the back of that 2 all draw at Stamford Bridge where... They had 10 men, um, really good results. Arteta's doing good things already there. So I expect that to be a tough game. And then City away as well. You know, it's, it's a big one, that league. Yeah, it? it's April as well. So the title could be won at that point, I think. I think Pep and the team will be really keen to, keen to get one over on Liverpool if they've obviously took the title off them. So that's going to be, that's probably going to be the hardest. So... Yeah, there's a good possibility they can do it, but there's there's still plenty of tests along the way before they can uh, secure it. Yeah, I mean, I must admit, so, some people have been have been downplaying it and focusing on the league and stuff like that. But I must admit, I really want it. You know, yeah, I I, I would love Liverpool to go unbeaten for the full season. I think well, it's massive. Be, you go from be, being a title winner side, which obviously it's it's to be all you know, it's the achievement in itself. But you get remembered. When you're an invincible yeah. side, we like, talk, we Arsenal get talked about weekly, yeah, and that was 17 years ago. Mm. And they weren't even as good as this Liverpool side. No, they weren't. They drew plenty. Yeah, yeah. drew plenty that year. But yeah, that's what I mean. If if Liverpool went inv- invincibles this season, you'd still be talking about it in 15 years' time. Yeah, I think from a selfish perspective, I would absolutely love Liverpool to go down as a the best Premier League team ever, if it's possible. Mm. But B certainly the first team ever to. A, go unbeaten and B, reach a century of points in the same campaign. Mm. I think that would be, that would be ridiculous. Mm. That would be history book stuff. So if Liverpool can get that, why not go for it? Um, so my, my last question by Mike Keevy. Hopefully I've said that one right as well. Um, there seems to be a definite change to the red style this year. Can't put my finger on what exactly. Is there anything in the stats that bear that out? Um, not really. I, I I would say Liverpool are still feeling the same team. I don't think a great deal has changed. Um, but I think it's interesting how Liverpool are winning this league because if you look at Liverpool's performance numbers, so XG and expected goals against, compared to City's performance numbers, they've both followed a similar theme. Um, Liverpool's XG now is 1.95 per game. <clears throat> so Liverpool are expected to score about two goals a game there. And Liverpool's expected goals against is bang on one at the minute. So Liverpool are winning virtually every game 2-1, hmm. according to XG at least. And then obviously the quality of Mane and that come in. So Liverpool's goes up in attack and then the quality of Alisson's comes in and it goes down in defence hmm. really. Um, but if you, if you compare it to last season... Liverpool's XG last season was 1.91, which is in attack virtually the same. And the defence was 0.79. Hopefully you're keeping up with the numbers here, but (laughs) that means that basically Liverpool's attack is very, very slightly better. And Liverpool's defence is quite notably worse, to be honest. And if you look at Manchester City, it's the same. Liverpool's City's attack this season is better and City's defence is worse. Mm. The difference is, City's defence is notably worse. The, mm. ju- the jump in defence, City's defence is much worse than Liverpool's defence is worse, if, you, if that makes sense. Mm. And I said at the very, very start of the season, actually to Christian, um, on a podcast, I think if the league improves offensively, the better the league gets, you know, players like Sebastian Haller playing for West Ham mm. and things like that, the better the league gets, I think the more it benefits Liverpool over City because City have this style that is just highly suited to dominating teams that are crap, mm. basically. 
weil ich es noch schwer wird. Und it's not as suited to playing teams that are basically and players that are good. If, you, if, you, if you're a capable player and if two players come towards you closing you down, if you can get out of that, then mm. that's going to that's gonna hinder City more than mm. it'll hinder Liverpool. So, And I think it's kind of played out that way. Yeah. Because City have suffered more this season and Liverpool have suffered more this season in defence. But City just considerably more so. Mm. How, how much worse do you know? Yeah, City's defence um, this season, XG against... 0.97 per 90. Last season, 0.66 per 90. So, so that's a jump of about 0.3 which is a lot. per match, which is, that's like one fairly clear cut chance. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I think it's interesting. Because I, I, I prepared a piece recently looking at goalkeepers and someone replied, uh, Matt Cheadle's name is, he's, he's actually a really good data guy. I think he works for Sky Sports. We have a little chat, and I'm sure he said, I'll double check this, maybe confirm it in the next part. That roughly works out that a goal conceded costs a point over an average of a season. Right. Which doesn't sound right, but I, I trust his numbers. I haven't looked at it myself. But you know, obviously, so you, if you're conceding a lot more, that's costing you a lot more points. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. Which <coughs> explains it. Can I uh, just before we round up? A friend of the show, uh, Tom Stewart, obviously DM'd me yeah. um, with a question that maybe I'll just put to you, but maybe contribute as well. Um, I haven't prepared for this. I'll no, <laughs> well, neither have I. Actually, I forgot all about it. But um, no, no, I said he's a he's a good lad, so I want to get it in. Um, he, he asked, which it's a good question actually. Do you think that Liverpool could replicate a class of '92 type thing? Um, especially with the story of Klopp potentially wanting to build a team again before his contract runs out. Yeah, I do. Mm. Um, I think it depends, obviously, on the quality of the players. But I would say Alexander-Arnold will obviously still be in the eleven mm. when Klopp leaves. Yeah, I think Curtis Jones will be, if not starting regularly, certainly one of the midfielders that tends to rotate in and out and in and out and that mm. sort of thing. I think he'll be an established Liverpool player by the time Klopp leaves. There's uh, Elliot as well, and even if Trent wasn't there, or he gets moved positionally, which people talk about, Williams looks like he's going to be a yeah. A Nico really Williams is certainly a player that could, you know, operate as a, as a backup right back to Trent. Mm. Um, you've got, as you say, Elliot, but I think he's he's 16, isn't he? Yeah, but he, how old he looks, is he by the time Klopp leaves? Then twenty four, so he's he's twenty by then. Yeah, but he looks like one of them that kind of has the high ceiling. I'm not saying he's going to be like an Mbappe type. He's going to be a yeah. Champions League star at like nineteen. But no, he does, he does. But one thing I would say, I I think at the minute I would have more confidence that Curtis Jones is going to make it at Liverpool mm. than Harvey Elliott. Mm, okay. And I say that purely because it's all right having the talent and the technical ability and things like that. But I think when you get to a certain age at Liverpool and you're performing week in, week out, you have to have the physical capacity mm. to cope. Playing every three days with Liverpool, the amount of defensive work that Salah and Mane do mm. is honestly ridiculous. Mm. Salah, Mane and Firmino consistently defend as many as six players between the three of them mm. just by cutting off passing lanes, pressing in a certain way. And I think that's that's the main difference when you bring in a Harvey Elliott or a Ryan Brewster or maybe an Origi or, or, or players like that. It's it's their physical capacity. I mean, Origi can obviously do it, but it's, it's the physical capacity to actually be able to defend like that. It's relentless. Mm. To do it every three days is a different story again. Um, and I saw an interview with Klopp recently, actually, and he got asked who, which player would he say surprised him the most in terms of the level that he's currently at. I think the interviewer said Robertson, but Klopp used the example of Trent, mm. and he said not because I didn't doubt whether he was a quality player, but because I, I wasn't sure whether he'd be able to cope with the physical demands, mm. because, you know, so many players just don't make it. That'd be Cater struggling a little bit and mm. things like that. So if Javier can do that, obviously he'll make it Liverpool because he's ridiculously talented, but... It's it's such a demand to cope mm. physically at that yeah, level. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's relentless. Champions League and Premier League elite level 
physically to that to that you know it's it's like a lot. twice a week don't you basically elite games for nine months yeah it is a lot um what about you yeah no i've got little to add on that i think it yeah i think it's Went a, really off a little point. bit there didn't i but no it, well, yeah exactly it's uh but it's all good as i said i've got little to little to add on it um maybe i give a shout out in terms of if we're looking at central defense sep van der berg i think he uh there's, there's been a few doubts about him and I don't like it, you know. Well, I, I, I so I've, unfair. I know. I've watched him a, a few times and not just in games like where he's played in the first team. Watched him at 23s and I've seen him make mistakes, right? But he, that's what he's doing now. He's developing his game. Mm. What I really like about him is he's got really good, you know, positional awareness, tactical understanding. He's 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 brilliant 90% of the time. Um, and he's cool. He's really, really chilled. You know, he's he is what we were talking about. Van Dijk is before never looked flustered, and that's what he has it as well. And you traditional Dutch, yeah. But you can't teach that, though, really, can you? No, that's no. What you can't teach it's a trait that's desirable but hard to find. So, I think he could potentially be one for the future as well. Yeah, I think in terms of a squad building perspective, I think that's why Liverpool are never really quick to sign stop gaps. Or you know, we've had we've, we've had basically two fullbacks for like. 18 months now. Mm. Alexander Arnold and Robertson are our only fullbacks, really, yeah. at the club. And I think one of the reasons that the, that the likes of Michael Edwards aren't quick to recruit backups and have two players in every position like City do mm. is because just, just give these players time. Mm. See if any players do come through and make a claim and you can just slot them in. And I think that's that's basically what Liverpool are doing as a as a means of bringing through academy kids that are that are capable, of making sure that the space is for them and things like that. Yeah, spot on, mate. We'll round up there anyway. Good uh, show. So we'll be back next week after West Ham at some point. Um, so thanks for tuning in. Thanks for joining us, Dave. Yeah, cheers, mate. And we'll see you next week. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red Channel.